FM. And what we make possible is for you to do whatever kind of scientific data collection you want, as long as you can do it on the web. Coming to you from Arlington Independent Media, I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome. I've been thinking a lot about James Baldwin lately. There isn't a moment in the last year's events that hasn't felt presaged and encapsulated by his searing insights. And the observation that comes to mind for me right now is the world changes according to the way people see it. And if we can alter even by a millimeter the way people look at reality, then you can change the world. Changing the world is exactly what the Social Design Lab at Northeastern University seeks to do by turning scientific research into technologies, programs, and companies that solve social problems. Jason Radford is director of the Social Design Lab and CEO of Volunteer Science, which is really how he got on my radar. Volunteer Science is an online lab for creating social science studies and recruiting volunteer participants from around the world. They're trying to get beyond what's known as the usual weird source of study subjects. Western, educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic societies that represent about 80% of experiment participants, but only maybe 12% of the world's population. Right now, there's a study of how people evaluate new ideas, another of people who play computer games and how they communicate, one of current and former military members' experiences with romantic relationships, emotional states, and military servants. Of course, several about COVID. And in preparation for this show, I participated in a study exploring attitudes toward and use of cosmetic procedures among midlife women. Ever since volunteer science emails started showing up in my inbox, I've been thinking of it as a curiosity enterprise. Assisting academics in pursuing their research, read curiosity, piquing curiosity in, in potential participants, and they seem to have come to it all through a what-if exercise that is quintessentially curious. But even with all of that, it was the commitment to changing the world that really got my attention. The commitment to create knowledge that works that can stand up to the complexities and vagaries of real social worlds that's geared towards identifying large, reproducible, and consistent efforts for heterogeneous populations, that the best science is that which has the biggest impact for the most diverse set of people. That got my attention. They're looking to do the kind of research that, as James Baldwin would say, might alter how people see the world by even a millimeter. So, no surprise, I asked Jason Radford to join me. Jason is a sociologist focusing on blending computational tools with traditional research methods to study organizations, politics, and markets. He earned his PhD at the University of Chicago, where he studied what makes organizations effective, and joined Northeastern in 2014 as part of David Lazar's lab, where he helped establish and now directs volunteer science and the social design lab. So welcome, Jason. Thank you for having me. So this is great. I'm excited about this conversation and excited about both volunteer science and the social design lab. So I'm, I'll warn you, I may talk between the two. But So at the social design lab, your science starts in the world 
and works backwards towards the abstract and theoretical, Mm -hmm. um, which seems to me to be a highly curious way of going about things, by the Mm -hmm. way. So what does that actually look like? Well, it's very often problem-focused. In in some ways, it still starts from the science. I'm still a sociologist. I'm still interested in how people get along with one another, the institutions that we build together. Uh, But, you know, I I walk through these institutions every day. Um, One of the the projects that we're working on right now is um, an application, a web application, for creating healthy relationships among intimate couples. And I'm in a marriage every day. And I'm looking at what are the things that I can do uh, to make this marriage better, to make it healthier. And you know, I'm an organizational sociologist, so I immediately think of you know, small groups research, teams research, interpersonal relationships research. The things that we as scientists know go into creating healthy relationships and healthy cooperation between people. And so I reached out to uh, one of my collaborators, Jacqueline Wong, at the University of South Carolina, who studies intimate relationships and young couples and started talking to her about, you know, what can we do to bring sociology and organizational science to bear on creating um, something that that helps couples build stronger relationships. Uh, and we're focusing on one problem that in the sociological literature, we have a lot of descriptive theory about what's going on, um, but we don't have a lot of predictive or intervention research on what we can do to make it better. Mm-hmm. So we're focusing first on housework uh, equity. So we know that women do much more housework than men on average, and this really hasn't changed despite the fact that women are spending much more time in the labor force, uh, that they make uh, as much money as men within an intimate relationship in general. Very often, women's work is invisible, even within a relationship to the partner. And so what we're working on is how do we create relationship supports that help couples balance the equity in the housework uh, and sort of use that as sort of a first um, step towards creating a system for helping couples create more well-rounded, healthy relationships. I love that. And it's it's a great illustration, it seems to me, of what you all describe as creating knowledge that works, which is really elegant, by the way. I just love (laughs) the the wordplay there. (laughs) But unpack it a little bit. When you say that, what does that mean to you? At the end of the day, we're still scientists. So when we say knowledge that works, it means that it's something that we can prove helps people improve some outcome as we define it. Um, so in this case, the outcome is going to be housework equity and relational satisfaction. And we're going to run experiments. We're going to run randomized trials on couples to see if the things that we give them to help them balance out their housework does, in fact, make them you know, happier in their relationship and does, in fact, help them balance out their housework. It, but this raises an interesting question. Is there knowledge that doesn't work? Uh, so there's a lot of knowledge that we aren't able to translate right now. Yeah. So. A lot of what we do as academics to get our research out there is, uh, you know, we publish articles, uh, we go on podcasts, you know, and we tell people about the new things that we find. And unfortunately, you know, changing people's mind does actually help a lot in their behavior. But the problem is, is that we don't know exactly how to change people's minds. Mm -hmm. We don't know what the best way of messaging it is. And very often, the only 
changing somebody's mind is not the only way of of changing their behavior. In some cases, it's not the best way to change their behavior. Mm. Just because we know that something is wrong or something that is a problem or we understand how something works doesn't mean that we know how to fix it. When my car breaks down, I'm not a mechanic. I don't know how to fix it. But I can go to somebody who knows how to fix it. Right. Uh, and our relationships can be that way. Our companies can be that way. Our teams can be that way. And, and science can help us point to what's wrong. Um, but very often, we don't even have the science to know how to fix it. Uh, and that's really where the, the design lab fits in, is trying to cover that gap of doing the science to figure out what fixes actually work. Right. And so one of the places that that science gets done is through volunteer science. And I, by the way, I have no idea how I got on your email <laughs> list. And I'm thinking, I must have seen this somewhere and thought, ooh, sign me up. You've run more than a thousand experiments now, right? With, I mean, are these numbers good? 600,000 participants in more than 160 countries. So that sounds like you've made some headway on this goal, this sort of globally inclusive goal. Tell us more about that. Yeah, it, it's been a long time coming. The, the original idea for volunteer science was generated in, in 2009 by David Lazar, and talking with Waleed Malise around you know, what can we do to use crowdsourcing to you know, expand the horizon for science. You know, the original idea was we're going to create this world lab where anybody anywhere in the world can contribute to science uh, and researchers who are always needing subjects. Uh, who always need um, those people to participate can find them. So, so then you have to figure out sort of what motivates people to participate, right? You know, mm-hmm. my my motivation was curiosity. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. This kind of pulls the curtain back a little bit on science, allows me to kind of see what people are interested in figuring out what they're researching now and make some choices to participate in a way that as someone who does not live on a campus and is not in an intro sociology class that requires me to show up for some of these experiments, what what do you think motivates people to participate? A couple of things are critical to our volunteers. Um, one is they, they want to know the meaning of the study. They want to know what the study is going to be used for, uh, who it's going to impact. They want to have a sense that their time is being used valuably. They don't want to waste their time with somebody who's not going to publish the study uh, or with a study that um, isn't going to take their data seriously. A lot of our experiments, especially our early experiments, were games. And they're meant to be gamified and they're meant to be fun. Um, And so it's a fun way to spend your time while also helping advance scientific knowledge. And so there are people who want to take 10 or 15 minutes to play a, a cool game. Oh, so this is a procrastination technique. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but it is. But, but the con- the contribution to science is, I think, a I think that's a genuine motivator, at least for some mm-hmm. people. But you get a message about you know you've just saved X number of dollars for science when you complete the study, which was very gratifying. Boy, did I feel rewarded <laughs> for my good deed. Like I could imagine, you know, having a reaction of like, oh well, let me do another one. <laughs> So I wonder about the potential contagion effect in terms of getting people to volunteer. You know, mm-hmm. I've been thinking about these power of social networks and like lobbying some of these um, studies into well-networked groups that are outside the weird, you know, networked mm-hmm. groups. Do you play with that at all? Have you thought about that? 
We do. It's sort of a difficult problem for us because mm. we have, you know, our audience is very diverse, um, which is that's kind a of the problem. Point, right? <laughs> it is the point, <laughs> uh, but it's a problem for people who want very specific kinds of subjects. Uh, yeah, yeah. So we have a study right now that's that's you know in IRB review, and I won't talk too many details about studies that aren't mine um, because I don't want to preempt the researcher, and I haven't gotten any release from researchers to share okay. their details. Fair, fair notice. Thank you. Uh, so, I, so I'll be very uh, uh, generic about this. But you know, they're interested in, in contacting people who've been uh, harassed online. And while the population for people who've been harassed online is relatively large, I think you're know, talking to them, it's like 20% or so. They're, they're looking at specific platforms and specific forms of harassment. It's going to be hard to find those people. And what we want to do and what we're trying to do is figure out a way to reach out to our audience. Right now we have uh, 20,000 volunteers who were able to email to participate in any of our studies. What we want to do is we want to email those people and get them to send our recruitment message uh, to people that they know are going to either, one, be able to take the study, people they know who've been harassed, or people who they know know those people. So if you know someone who you know, works at, a, at an advocacy organization or who works on sexual harassment, you know, reaching out to those people and saying, here's a study that you know, the people that you know may, may be interested in taking. That's something that we're looking at right now and, and testing. The other way that we do this is through our leaderboard. So we have this top volunteer leaderboard on all of our experiments. And if you, you know, use that link to recruit anyone to participate, it shows up. Oh, oh, gamification again, huh? Right. It's because, you know, people can only participate in a study once, usually. Right. And that, that's great. I'm glad that people do it once. Uh, but, you know, people care about the science. They want to see the research get done. And, and we want to be able to, you know, be able to recognize people for you know, making those contributions and helping them track you know, the, the, the work that they've done for researchers. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So you also offer templates for research that I guess allows for research that might not otherwise be possible, or it allows for greater replicability or consistency. Um, talk a little bit about that, if you would, because I was fascinated by these templates. <laughs> yeah, so 90% of social science research is still done through surveys. Um, and the big companies there are Qualtrics and SurveyMonkey. And People know how to create surveys. That software is pretty well established. Most of your sort of traditional science goes through that pathway. What volunteer science does and what we make possible is for you to do whatever kind of scientific data collection you want, as long as you can do it on the web, uh, which is surprisingly flexible. And so volunteer science in that way is a playground for scientists to create whatever web app. And so our templates are meant to one, you know, suggest to people what they can do and show mm-hmm. them how you can you know, record participants' screen or record participants' camera or capture their voice if you want to do. You know, we had one, one researcher who wanted to look at people's faces as they meditated. Um, and so being able to, you know, telling them that they can capture people's faces online to be able to, to see the, the effect of different meditation prompts on people's uh, level of concentration. Um, the other thing is that some of these things are really complicated. Uh, we just created a template for this network chat that allows you to create a chat room that connects any number of people in any social network structure that you want. 
So it can be 20 people in this you know, what's called a, a line network where each person is connected to one person to their left and to their right. Uh, or everybody can be on one huge chat channel you know, and, and anything in between. And doing that is, is relatively complicated. It's taken us, um, you know, when we were at, when, when volunteer science was at Northeastern, you know, we, most of our research was you know, network-based research. And it took us you know, about six or seven years to really come up with this particular approach to thinking about networks and how you create them online. You know, this chat network is sort of the culmination of, of that knowledge of how do you think about networks? How do you approach it as you design? A network experiment. Um, and now we have that as, I think it's something like 120 lines of code. Um, and all you have to do as a researcher is tell us what the network is and we can do it for you. Wow. So, so <laughs> there are no questions that don't have some basis in self-interest. So <laughs> I saw these templates and I thought, could I study people's associations with curiosity using the implicit association test template? Now, you're not really set up for lay people to drop in and do this sort of thing, but but the template it does create a level of potential accessibility to this kind of research, does it not? Oh, absolutely. So the implicit association task is a standardized psychometric task for looking at, obviously, implicit associations. And so you know, if you want to be able to, to understand what it's supposed to do and how to use it, you, know, you should have some background knowledge on how the task is structured and what it measures. Um, but as long as you have that, um, especially like once once you have these templates, you can use them for your own experiment. And I think one of the bigger visions for volunteer science, which we haven't really broached yet, is that at the end of the day, volunteer science is a place for you to create web applications in general for collecting data and interacting with subjects. And it's a good platform for prototyping new um, web tools. Right. So if you are wildly successful, how is the world changed? Yes. So there are a lot of ways that we are using online experiments and online studies in general now that will sort of take over the way that we think about you know, medicine, you know, marketing and sales, the way that we create new products. Uh, right now, a lot of our research is done you know, you know, in a physical lab. Well, it used to be <laughs> as of a year ago. You know, <laughs> happened in a physical lab. You, know, you had focus groups come into a room and they talked about you know, what they liked or didn't like about a product or a movie or you know, a new computer. And you know, these are you know, fine ways of, of, of doing things, but uh, it's much easier and much more scalable to bring them into a virtual space and talk about the same kinds of things. Um, and, and in something like this, you can actually do it relatively auto in an automated way. You can, we, we've, we've done you know, interviews using uh, chatbots as a way of prompting people to oh, talk about their ideas and their experiences. Um, the other thing is, you know, in, in particularly in, in medicine, but even more so in, in um, you know, consumer goods, the idea is a lot of our interactions are moving online. So you know, I talked about the, the, the application that we're building for um, healthy relationships. Well, you know, there are you know, dozens of new applications being developed in medicine every day. Uh, and these are all having to be you know, tested online, developed online. They live uh, in a mobile environment. And volunteer science is a way for people to you know, create and develop, especially early prototypes of these interventions in a way that gives them complete flexibility over 
um, the data they collect, the types of interfaces that they can do, the way that you randomize people to different kinds of treatments, all of that stuff is built into volunteer science. And so the idea is that volunteer science becomes uh, the core way that we create new online scientific technologies and then go out and validate them with people all over the world. Uh, that's the other thing that I haven't spent as much time talking about is, um, you know, once it's on volunteer science, you know, anyone anywhere in the world can become a participant. Um, and we use Facebook ads to reach, you know, anyone anywhere in the world. You can obviously you know, work with any you know, subject recruitment firm that you want. But the idea is that, you know, for us, you know, it costs us less than 50 cents to get somebody who's not in the United States to come participate in a study. Well, and, you know, I got this psychic reward of this message about I'd save $10 for science and, you know, forward it here on Twitter or Facebook, which I did, you know. <laughs> we appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> shameless, shameless promotion of these <laughs> things. Uh, so that's very cool. I want to be an amplifier for you, see what I can do about that. But but before I let you go, I want to have you do my big jar of wannabe analogies. You game? Okay. okay. Yes, absolutely. Right. So I have a literal big <laughs> jar here and in it are um, slips of paper uh, with random words written on them and we're going to make an analogy to curiosity with whatever is on these slips of paper all right um mine is uh, dog sledding yours is a looking glass and we have one for the audience as well so do you want to go or you want me to go first you go first okay all right <clears throat> So how is curiosity like dog sledding? Um, well, it's a heck of a ride. I mean, <laughs> you know, and dog sledding has always, to me, looked um, sort of thrilling, sometimes scary, uh, occasionally grueling. Um, and I think curiosity is all of those things. But I think it's a fundamentally, a, like a, an old, ancient, um, and... Um, uh, but not our typical way of getting from one place to another. So I guess I'll, that's how mm. dog sledding is like curiosity. <laughs> so how is curiosity like a looking glass? So I, I think that curiosity teaches us as much about ourselves as it does about the world. Oh, nice. I think that, you know, by looking at something new or being challenged by you know, something that we didn't expect, we get a chance to see what it is that we did expect. We get a chance to see um, you know, what, our, what, what our world looks like reflected back to us um, when we see something that challenges uh, the way that we think or what we believed um, or the way that we felt. Nice. Very nice. Thank you for that. And audience, yours is mistletoe. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> How is curiosity like mistletoe? I don't know. Let me know. Facebook, Twitter, hashtag analogy. Uh, well, Jason, thank you so much for this. This has been a lot of fun. And I I mean, I find myself sort of now checking your website. Like, what else are they studying now? Is there something new that I haven't seen yet? Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a little addictive, actually. Very cool to see, you know, where people's curiosity is taking them. So thank you. Good. I'm glad. Thank you for inviting me. This was wonderful. You've been listening to WERA 96.7 FM. If you joined us late or want to catch up with this or any of the other great shows here on Radio Arlington, check us out online and on demand at WERA.FM. 
You can find all my shows on iTunes, Stitcher, Mixcloud, SoundCloud, and Facebook. Call it Choose to Be Curious. And on my website at choosetobecurious.com. I hope you'll follow me there and on Twitter at choose number two, letter B, curious. Don't forget to send us your mistletoe analogy, hashtag analogy. Many thanks to Jason Radford for joining me today and inviting all of us into creating good research and theory. Check out Volunteer Science and the Social Design Lab on my website. Our theme music is by Sean Ballack, and this is Gusty Hollow by Mike Grecian via Blue Dot Sessions. I hope you'll join us again next time, and until then, choose to be curious. So the COVID States Project is something that we began in March. As soon as uh, the world shut down, the U.S. government uh, started funding a lot of research into the pandemic and setting up the scientific field to study the impact of it, try to model its spread, you know, do everything we can to to mitigate the, the, the pandemic. And so we, we survey about 20,000 people every month. Our focus is on trying to get at least 500 people from each state in the United States to be able to do state-by-state state comparisons. And that's really sort of the power of this particular project is that it's not just a national survey, that we have enough people from each state to be able to tell you state-by-state state, you know, what is the um, support for mask wearing and, and have statistical power to do that. And so we've been doing that every month since March, and we've been putting out reports since April. If you're a, you know, a member of the public or even a, a scientist and you're waiting for research to come out, by the time it's published, it's, it's already at least two years old, if not four or five or six years old. But this is something what we're trying to do where we're getting uh, fast science, where we're trying to get us you know, the numbers as quickly as we can out into the public to try and guide policy making around you know, what policies to put in place around mask wearing, you know, where are we seeing people complying and where are we not seeing people or what are the relationships between complying with mask mandates and complying with social distancing guidelines and the spread of coronavirus. Funding for Choose to be Curious on WERA 96.7 FM is provided in part by the Center for Parents and Teens, where families are strengthened through a connection built through positive communication, mutual understanding, and realistic expectations of one another. For more information, visit www.centerforparentsandteens.com. Thank you.